Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning and consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Kelly, basically what we do is we help companies create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. What's crazy is that only, yeah, very important, exactly. We were talking about this ahead of time. And what's nuts is on, on this is you know rough estimations that about only about 2% of executives' times is actually spent on strategy with their ordinary company. And so that gets to about 40 collective hours per year, which I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty crazy that 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 little amount of time is spent. And so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call on us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but we have proven practices to make that work. Harvard Business Review shows if you actually focus on the right key performance indicators, you can triple your success. And who would want that? So feel free to contact us at catch, like catching a ball at 40strategy.com, or simply go to our website at 40strategy.com. And so now we like to do our, our shout out. And our shout out is actually to um, our both of our good friends that we have is John Foster. Um, John Foster is uh, the president at Maristar. And who they Maristar provides flat-free tires, the retail and construction industry. John and I have known each other a long time. And we have mutual, once again, mutual friends here. Um, yeah. John introduced, and, and I don't know if you know this, Kelly, but I actually challenged John to run a marathon. And so him and I are concurrently uh, training for that. It's been a pain and a challenge, but we're getting there. Um, I'm also going to do another shout out as this is going to be released. It's going to be right around my wife's birthday, uh, Sarah. And um, also it'll be our 25th anniversary. So happy anniversary and happy birthday, Sarah, to my high school sweetheart. And now we're going to turn around and introduction to, to Kelly. Uh, Kelly is the president of Main Street Property Group based in Kirkland, Washington. Main Street is a real estate development firm dedicated to the vision, construction, and operation of landmark mixed-use properties in the greater Seattle area. Kelly is also the uh, managing partner of Insight Property Solutions, which is a boutique, full-service property management company specializing in the management of apartment communities, homeowner, and condominium associations. He's also the CEO of GenCap Construction Corporation, which is a general contracting and construction management firm specializing in multifamily retail and tenant improvements. So the last 20, 20 years, you have actually completed billions of dollars in financial real estate transactions. You have served as a speaker and panelist on a variety of real estate and finance topics. Prior to this, you have been the CEO for two companies, one CamWest Development and Emeritus. Uh, you have a Bachelor of Arts, which we both do from uh, in accounting from the University of Washington Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> Go dogs. All right. So, Kelly, thank you so much for being on the Measure Success podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Carl. So, for the audience who might not know about you, uh, why don't you share uh, a little bit about your companies and, and what they do and, and how can you understand more about that? Sure. Yeah. Main Street Property Group is a development, commercial development company. Uh, we're focused on the east side of the greater Seattle area. So basically, if you, uh, our office is in Kirkland, if you formed a 10-mile half circle staying east of Lake Washington 
around our office. That's basically our market area. Uh, and that's been the case for the last 20 some odd years. Uh, my partner and I have, have only focused um, in that geographical area. And there's been a ton of changes and a lot of opportunity there. So we haven't had to venture out. And, you know, we, we like to, to build and develop in areas where our friends and family um, and ourselves all live. Um, our purpose as a company is turning spaces into places. And there's a lot that goes into that, but uh, that's what we focus on um, every day. We're a little unique in that we are, as, as you pointed out, um, vertically integrated. So we take our projects from the time they're basically unentitled raw land, uh, develop uh, working with architects and cities and all sorts of consultants, develop the vision and the plan and the design for uh, what we're going to build and what makes sense to build there. Uh, then ultimately, we construct it uh, with GenCap Construction Corporation, and then we manage it as well. So we really have the end-to-end -end experience of developing, building, and then operating for the long-term, uh, everything that we're involved in. It really gives us the ability to get close to our customers because we have about a third of our company every day working shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with our, either our residential customers or our commercial customers, um, tenants. And so we get amazing feedback all the time on what's working well, um, what's not working so well. And then we can fold that right back into the development and design process and the construction process. So there's a lot of transparency in our organization. Uh, we do operate as one common organizational culture, but three distinct companies with their own management teams and systems and processes and visions and goals. Um, so although we have a lot of unification amongst our group, um, we do have separate businesses and they each have uh, things that are important to them, which can be challenging. But like I said, it creates a lot of transparency. Um, so, you know, in our market, we're one of, if not the largest um, development company. Uh, at any one time, to give you an idea, we have, oh, anywhere from two to five projects under construction. And those projects can range in size from, oh, $20 million to $125 million. So a pretty broad, pretty broad range. It really just depends on what the opportunity is, you know, relative to the size. We don't go searching for, you know, some magic um, size of a project. It just depends on the property and the lay of the land. Um, one of the important things for us is, is we're never going to have as much money or as many people as our competitors. So we have to move quicker, try to be more innovative and be more attentive to what, uh, the community really needs at each project that we get involved in. So it gets right back to our purpose, turning spaces into places. Um, we try to make amazing places where people want uh, want to live, want to recreate, want to eat dinner at. Um, 
or whatever whatever it is. Um, we want to draw the community uh, into our projects. I love it that you have been able to focus on such a, a discrete uh, region. That, that I think is the hardest thing, and and you have this passion to keeping it, and that that's part of your secret sauce. It sounds like that that yeah, there's people with bigger money and and bigger opportunities, right. but that you know and you live with right the people that are in your community. Therefore, you have better insights, right? Versus somebody who might be even frankly across the lakes, right? Or, or perhaps they're a regional player or national player. Um, you, you can, you might have the personal relationships and the, and the real understanding of the real challenges that the community is facing. Right. Yeah. My partner and I, uh, both grew up in the, in the greater Seattle area, went to the university of Washington. All our employees live in the area. Um, Everywhere that we're involved in, these are our communities. These are where our friends live. This is where our family lives. And this is where, where we all live. So the other, I guess, secondary factor is we've never really wanted to get on a plane and fly to Boise or Portland or anything like that. And there's been enough uh, to keep us extremely busy and create a lot of opportunity for all of our employees. So we've just been fortunate that for my career, we've had for the most part, uh, you know, a housing boom and that's just been the case around here. And so we've been able to stay really busy and do a lot of really neat projects. Yeah. There's a, that little company I think called Microsoft that's uh, right in your backyard. And, <laughs> and of course all the other high tech companies, I, I, um, been doing a little been traveling back there a little more recently due to some of the work that I've been involved with. And I was blown away. I hadn't been back in some of the areas in Bellevue and Kirkland in, in about 10 years. And I was like, wow, wow, I had no idea of all the buildings and the skyscrapers that are going up over there. Um, right. It truly is. It's like you, you said something that made a lot of sense is that because the market around you has grown so much, it's enabled you to stay functional but still be a healthy, uh, vibrant business. Right. Well, yeah, we talk about like the city of Redmond and Kirkland and Bothell and Kenmore being secondary cities, but but they're really not. Um, they're primary cities. And now with light rail starting to connect everything together, it's like the east side is kind of merging into, you know, one greater economic engine. But it's amazing, you know, if you went to downtown Bothell, for example, before we got involved in uh, helping them revitalize their downtown. There was basically not a lot there. There was a, a two or three block Main Street. And now there's a vibrant, growing, active downtown area with people walking everywhere and dining and uh, just all the services that somebody uh, would want in the place that they live are now in that town. and. That's happened in a very short period of time. Five or six years is all. And wow. it's just been amazing to be a part of. Uh, when I was doing some research on your company and articles that, that uh, talked, some of the things that you personally had been leading and, and your firm has been, is the, some sustainability efforts. Um, I think at that point, there were six lead certified platinum buildings that that your, your firm had helped develop. Um, there was a mention about 
trying to replace the water bottles and things of that nature. Give me a little bit more insight into why that's important to you and what other things that you've done uh, to help create that sustainability. Yeah. Well, I have always believed that, especially early on, when in order to do something sustainable, that took a pretty large investment of both, both time and money. And in the marketplace, there wasn't a real recognition uh, of the differentiation between something that's built sustainably, not only built that way, but built to continue to be sustainable and a project that's just built using, you know, historical norms that have been in place for, you know, decades. I always thought that the market would recognize at some point a value difference between sustainable building and non-sustainable building. That was one premise. The other premise was, I mean, it's clear, and, and now it's crystal clear, that if we didn't, um, you know, look at how we could be more friendly and gentle on the environment and in the community, that's going to be a problem. And so we very early on made a differentiation, com- differentiated commitment to sustainability and doing what we could um, to build and operate as sustainably as possible. So fast forwarding a number of years um, with those two premises, there were some uh, kind of systems that that became you know, generally accepted in the industry about different levels of sustainability. And so there was a, you know, a silver, gold, uh, platinum level, and we right away went for the platinum level. We didn't mess around with silver. We dabbled in gold and went right to platinum. And everybody else thought we were, you know, out over our skis because it was going to be so expensive. But the challenge to the team and it wasn't just our team. It was our whole architecture and design and all the people involved in designing a project was how do we build to the highest level of sustainability yet maintain you know, an even cost structure with the folks that we knew we were going to be competing against? Wow. If we were able to do that, we would provide a better living environment for our residents and we do it at the same cost. And so we would have a built-in advantage. And we were able to figure that out over time. It took um, a number of projects, but by kind of iterating on the plans and continuing to innovate, um, ultimately we got there. So our focus is still at the highest levels of sustainability. And even now we're looking at, at uh, a carbon neutral um, project where the goal would be that there's no incremental carbon that's created uh, you know, through the construction and operation of this project. We also took it one step further in that everybody that lives with us, we provide specific training about the elements of their living environment that were built sustainably. So that's part of our commitment is passing that along to everybody in our community so that they understand some of the unique aspects of the place that they live and why it's a little different, but even just why it's environmentally friendly. Um, So the industry itself has a long ways to go still, but we've made really good headway. And 
you know, we are one of the leaders now in pushing the envelope when it comes to, you know, building in a friendly, environmentally friendly manner. I loved it how you just said there, you've almost made it a non-argument by getting rid of the cost part, right? Because often, especially in construction, and because there's pressure on the retail side to deliver yep. lowest lease price, prices possible, right? So they're thinking cost, 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 cost through the entire part. Yep. And, and But you said, no, we're going to actually deliver value and a great price. And I can't understand how any any reasonable um organization could say no to that right that that's that's the home run when you deliver that and it, I, I love it how you said you you had to go through iterations to learn it wasn't overnight but ultimately you got there you know right. to get to this this highest level um that's I, I gotta imagine a lot of people tried it but they just they go back to their norms right which is we're just yeah. going to go back to, to simple stuff um so in the carbon neutral that's so i i this i don't know and forgive me you I don't mean to ask you something on the spot here, but from platinum, it, it, does that talk about carbon neutral at all? Or is it just that such a higher, is there a certain threshold that that's meeting? As it yeah, is? carbon neutral is a whole other level of sustainability. So, you know, you get into uh, solar and wind generation of power, um, a, real, a real emphasis on electric versus gas cars. And so putting that infrastructure in place um, is a is a large undertaking from a kind of design standpoint um, you know there's there's a variety of things that have to happen in order to get to something that's carbon neutral this building in particular we're going to be um, implementing what might end up being the largest kind of built environment urban forest in the Puget Sound arena. So, you know, that in and of itself, um, using that that area of the property for, you know, an actual thriving urban forest um, has offsets uh, in and of itself. So it's, it's a lot of big things and then a lot of little things that add up to try to, try to get that to a, a neutral. We're not sure if we can get there. But it's our it's our goal to work like crazy to try to make it happen. So you, uh, when we were we were talking and we talking about top of mind, um, you 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 quoted the culture strategy for lunch uh, for lunch by Peter Lynch, and 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 we we are both uh, it was fun talking ahead of time because we're both we love strategy and we love vision and 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 getting to there. Talk a little bit about practically how, how what that means for your organization. You know, how do you get a vision, a strategy, and and what are how did you make that unique from some of the basic frameworks and principles you learned in the past? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, our kind of fundamental belief right now is, and and has been for a long time, but it's even more important now, is that our organization is all about our people and our culture and we could have the greatest strategy around to be carbon neutral, to provide affordable housing and do all these other things that are, that would be amazing. But if we don't have the right team, uh, we call it our band. If we don't have the right people in the right places in our band, whether it's, the tour manager, the lead guitarist, the lead singer, the stagehand, whatever it may be, if, if we don't have the right people, 
that 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 enjoy our culture and want to have a balance and everything that it takes to have you know to be a good fit we don't have the right people and then overlay that and build a culture that's engaged then our strategy could be amazing but it's not going to be as effective as it could be and so we spend a lot of time on strategic planning but what leads our strategic planning first and foremost number one objective is attract retain and develop our people and no, the number two objective is uh create a culture of extreme engagement so that's also our strategy is is our people but what we have uh to help us manage this is what we call our vision for success and the vision for success has been with us for five or six years it's a system that we um we created from an amalgamation of a couple management well from one main management system and then a few ideas but uh what we tapped into was the balanced scorecard so at uh, a couple of my prior companies emeritus and cam west we implemented the balanced scorecard and hired the balanced scorecard collaborative to help us do that and it was a great management system but when we started main street and gencap and insight we wanted to do things a little bit different so we took some of the elements of the balanced scorecard and married it up with uh the ex football coach at the university of washington uh what he believed in was that his players need to needed to envision their game and their assignments and everything that it was going to take to win a football game and they spent actual time visioning that and he would you know help them lay out their vision and so that's what we do we imagine what success looks like and uh so I've created this uh management system and what we have is uh six objectives and within those objectives are a whole variety of goals and then we have a few metrics try to have as few as possible that help us understand whether or not we're on track but the number one metric i look at right now is when we ask our people and we we ask them pretty regularly hey how engaged are you 1 through 10 or are you strongly engaged or strongly disengaged we ask them all the time and uh that's the number one metric we look at is the result from uh from talking to our folks we also as a part of this um everybody in our company in, has an individual purpose statement so what is their statement w what is it about coming to work and being a part of our company that's fulfilling to them and it's it's not just you know i i do my job from you know 8 to 5 it's like really why are you here what's your purpose why are you engaged um and so that then dovetails into our organizational purpose um and each individual company has a purpose so that sounds confusing on one hand but when you have this broader vision for what success looks like people can really start to resonate with their individual purpose and with our organizational uh, purpose and it kind of ties it all together last thing i'll say about it is we've got our organization wide 
uh, vision for success. But then we disseminate that and break it down to each company so that it's most applicable to that to that company based on what's important for them. This used to be a year to year. We'd come out with a vision for success every year. Now we've taken the time aspect out of the equation and it's no longer a year by year. It's a constantly evolving vision. For example, if we didn't have the ability to evolve when the pandemic started in February or March, we'd be stuck with everything that we thought was important in January and December, the tables turned and we had to adapt quickly and innovate. And so our framework really helped us kind of sort that out. Oh, this is this is where I knew this was going to happen, Kelly. It's like I, I want to I want to stop. Uh, it's like I get these. You need to make these shorter. But Kelly, you provided so much depth there. Um, it, it's you talk about this concept of envision future. And Don James, by the way, was the the coach that you're referring to um, when they had won their last national championship, and. And he had this way, but I, I love it how you talk about not only is there the vision for the company, but what is often broken is the connection to the, the individual. Right. And, and you've taken that saying, how can I, whatever position I'm at, how can I, and I love it how you have a band, how am I helping to keep the harmony and play the music for the organization, right? right. Using the same analogy. And, and that's often missed. It, it's often it's this executive team, strategic retreat. And it dies there, right? Yeah. It, it dies a slow death and, and nothing happens beyond it, but you've actually taken to, to hear, listen, because the engagement, which Gallup does surveys all, all you know, on a regular basis. And I'm not sure if you know, I'm actually a Gallup certified uh, coach, strength coach. And, and that survey comes out and 34% is like national average. Right. And by, that, by the way, is like a multi-year high. Yeah. Um, and so I can imagine, I don't need a direct, direct numbers, but I can imagine your team's way above that mark. Way above, yeah. <laughs> it it is uh, it is a lot of hard work though, and um, it doesn't come easy. Yeah. But right now, you know, in the pandemic of 2020 and 2021, we kind of had to, we doubled down on it, and uh, yeah, in our latest um results, you can really see it, you know, come through. Yeah, that that is um, uh, I love it, absolutely love it. And so let's, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'll ask you, Kelly, at the end, but just open, I'm working on a book right now, and there is pieces in here I want to incorporate. We'll talk more about that later. Um, let, let's pop to the personal side. You are doing a lot. And, and uh, you have one thing going for you is you're not traveling as much, meaning, right. meaning traveling outside. But you are really, you are personally really engaged in this business. You're not just doing this for one thing. You care about the environment. You care about the people. And obviously, you care about uh, returning to buck, right? Because you, it doesn't all work without generating cash flow. You can't, right. you can't do that and compete. So let's talk about the personal side. How, how, how are you keeping yourself balanced, if you mm -hmm. may, or keeping yourself energy mm -hmm. with everything else you have going on and dealing with some real significant challenges that the pandemic has hit, especially in retail, especially in real estate, commercial real estate. Um, give us some insight how you helped get through that on a personal side you know, to keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I believe the balance is, you know, just fundamentally important. Um, 
So I enjoy doing a lot of things outside of work. And that's one of the things when I'm talking to, I interview everybody we hire. And I always ask them, you know, what do you do for fun? And I think that's a pretty fundamental question um, because that's what helps create the balance. So I really enjoy um, road biking. I've never been competitive at it, but I spend a lot of time on my bike. Um, and I've also thought that if you're really going to excel at something, you need a you need a coach. So during uh, when the pandemic started, that's one of the things that I personally invested in was um, working with a coach on uh, road cycling. Again, not to be competitive, but just to you know continue to measure how I'm doing and have somebody who's holding me accountable. Um, you know, we travel, uh, uh, quite a bit and, uh, low it's been local of late. Um, but you know, I think it's also been important that, um, you know, when I'm not quote unquote in the office, I'm still connected to what's going on. Um, cause I believe that's part of creating balance. Cause you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go off somewhere and disconnect, Everyone talks about disconnecting. I think that's actually more stressful uh, at times. So again, it's a, about trying to maintain the balance, but I think it gives me some freedom to maintain a level of connection, you know, even when I'm away from uh, the work environment. Um, so I try to uh, do quite a bit. We've got a, in the company, we have a wellness program uh, that we've created. Uh, we've teamed up with a wellness coach and I spend, you know, some time every month with her talking about, um, you know, how I'm doing, how the organization's doing from a wellness standpoint. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I really think it's, it's critical to maintain that balance. As, uh, that is fantastic. Um, it was a great answer. So Kelly, we we talked about books uh, ahead of time, and I always like to have our guests. Um, and you could do the one esoteric one that, but I feel welcome to. But share share with me one of the books that you would recommend, one or two of the books you'd recommend sure. for our audience. Sure. Well, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I'm, right now I'm reading a book called The Red Notebook, and uh, kind of a genre of books that I like to read uh, relate back to uh, Paris, France. Uh, we lived there from 2010 to 2011, worked remotely then for that year. Um, so I always like reading books that take us, take me back into uh, Paris and uh, talk about the sights and sounds of that amazing city. But the book that I would recommend is a book called, I've got it here, called Everybody Lies. And it's by a guy named Seth Stevens. And he basically, uh, from Google Analytics, pulled down all the data available on some very narrow topics. And through that data, uh, set about uh, trying to understand whether or not the common perceptions were actually reality when you looked at big data. And he uncovered a lot of interesting uh facts about what what might be true and what maybe isn't so true um so it's a that's a great book it's a really quick read but uh but you got to be kind of interested in the data side of things 
to enjoy it. But it's amazing how much information is on Google Analytics. Unbelievable amount of data. It Truly is, big data. Is. Agreed, agreed. And, and there's a complimentary book that we had talked about, Factfulness by Hans Rosling, that I think I, I, would say I haven't read that book. And I, I actually, it, that is now on my list oh. to read. I've heard about this. So thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. And, and I encourage you to read Factfulness because it's uh, same thing of there's these beliefs and misconceptions that are, I would call mainstream beliefs and they're actually completely false. Yeah. And uh, and the vast majority are completely false and they give the data behind it. Hans Rosling actually's passed. Uh, he's based out of Sweden and their, and their kids have continued up. But um, so moving on, Kelly, this has been a, a real privilege having you on the Measure Success podcast. Where can people learn more about uh, Main Street Property Group? Yeah, so we've got a, a website that's got a lot of information. Uh, I was just looking at these statistics the other day. About 50% of the folks that go to our website go right to our projects. What's being built? Where is it being built? I want to see what the pictures are and what it looks like. Uh, but uh website is mspgroupllc.com. I see it there right behind you. You can also just search on Google Main Street Property Group and... Uh, and then there, there's also links to uh, GenCap, our construction company, and inside our property management company, talks all about what uh, what they're doing, and um, so a lot of great great information about all three organizations there. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today, and and thank you to the audience for listening to the Measuring Success podcast. Wishing you the very best at measuring success. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.